Welcome to Gross Anatomy. like a grandfather signing on to a computer. <laughs> <laughs> I totally am. That's so He's getting better, though. No, that, that's very kind of you. Wait, how do I make this bigger? Why is it so small? Your screen? Are you in gallery okay, view? Are you on gallery view? I don't know. Now it's bigger. Oh, now it's small again. But it's good. I think it's good. Just We're seeing just like half your face. You don't see me? He's just up. You got to back up. He'll sit down. He'll sit back. Wait, should I back way up? There, that's, I think that's a good frame. So, Lord, are we live? We're live, Dr. Cohen. We are live. What are we live with? Gross Anatomy Podcast. Where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and... How it pertains to pop culture, meaning movies, books, TV, and the world around us. We always have special guests lately. Lately. And I'm Dr. Jason Cohen. And I'm Andy Lassner. And uh, obviously, when you think of the sights and sounds of medicine, (laughs) most people will think of me. Yeah. And we have Lauren Taylor, who's our everything else. She's... She's our executive producer, and she's our editor, and she basically tells me what to do with this. Fantastic. And um, I like. I like. That to kind of feel like Passover a little bit, like Passover Seder. It does, but I got to say, the the fact that she calls you Doctor Cohen, I find very enjoyable. <laughs> I want you to know we've been doing this now. How many years have we known each other, Lauren? Oh, two years at least. Yeah. No, we've known each other. We've been doing this for two years, but yeah. I've known you for maybe four years, five years. Mm. No, not that long. No, no grandpa. Okay. grandpa. But I, right. But I still tell her yeah. to call me Jason and she just can't. So it, I, yeah, I really, because we talked to so many doctors on this show and I know what you all went through to go through medical school. I just can't do it. I don't know why. Right. I qualify. I, Jason knows I qualify to be here because I've been to a lot of doctors. <laughs> right. Actually, you know, I, I thought you don't go to any doctors. You just call me. I call you. I was, I was, that's uh, exactly what I do. It is, it is so good to have a doctor like Jason Cohn in your life because um, I call him with anything and uh, he calls me back and gets me the doctor I need. It's a nice, it's a nice service. He's my, sort of, you're my, uh, you're my concierge without me having to pay a fee. Well, well, this is the fee. That's, that's the only yeah, reason I know why you're doing this. I'm doing the podcast. Exactly. That's your fee blood. I mean, the reason I'm doing this is because I love Jason Cohn. We grew up together. Let's start yeah. there. Well, I'm not hosting. You are. No, you- and that's exactly where I wanted to start. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's a, you know, especially with all the crap that you've been through, and maybe we'll touch upon it. Right. So, so go ahead. Andy is, it's, it's a good and a bad thing. You're the first person that I ever got drunk with, Andy. That is correct. Yeah. That Which, is correct. And I, and I tell that story a lot. You ended up, and you ended up in medical school and I ended up in a number of rehabs. So it worked <laughs> out well for everyone. Which is totally bizarre and weird how that happens, right? Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting. I mean, uh, addiction, you know, I'm 22 years sober and clean and it's still, I'm still fascinated by it because there are people who, when we were young, when we knew each other, high school, college, who drank and drugged, it felt like as much as I did. But then it was like, oh, okay, now I'm in college, I got to get serious. And the problem was when everyone stopped, I couldn't. And I, I was fascinated by that. So it wasn't like I was always the one doing the most. I was just the one who never stopped. Yeah. So. And, and for me, you know, I, I met you first through synagogue. Synagogue. Yeah. Our, both our fathers uh, 
were presidents of the same Orthodox synagogue on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Not just our fathers, your grandfather. My grandfather, Orthodox synagogue. And then your brother. And then my brother was president too. Yeah. And again, I ended up in rehabs. Right. So, <laughs> so the, the, I think the only time there wasn't a Lassner as, or a Lassner family as president was when my dad was for a little bit, basically, during a, a big group of years. That's right. And then, exactly. uh, but we literally grew up sitting next to each other and talking and gossiping. And I remember then you were, you started, I, I was two years older than you, I think. Two or three. Yeah. Three. Uh, two or three, maybe. We were never on the hockey team together, were we? No, it's a shame. It, yeah. it would have been a lot of fun. You know what's interesting about your your group of friends? You had this amazing core group of friends. Yeah. And not not every year had that. And then my guys also, we had like yeah. a mirror image group of friends, which was... Yeah, who, who you know, I, I, God, I've, I graduated 36 years ago, maybe. 37, yeah. I don't even know, 1984. And uh, I'm still, in, you know, I still, every summer, five of us from my high school class get together and right. we're friends and your group is tight too. Yeah. But, um, I hated going to temple, going to synagogue. I, oh, I, don't I, know if you... I, I only liked the social part of it. And part of the social part of it was, you know, we would go down and drink hard liquor. It was like uh, during, during the synagogue service, there was a group of men that would go down and take a couple shots. You're talking about like 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Right. And that was, I love the social thing, but I always remember thinking this, I'm not, I, deep down, I always had a sense, this is not going to, I can't do this forever. Because it really, a, looking well, back, I, you, you felt like you were going to get oh, into yeah. trouble with it? I just, oh no, I'm talking about synagogue, not the booze. Oh, right. uh, I'm talking about <laughs> synagogue. I remember consciously thinking, this is a lot. This is, you know, God is judging me. There was a lot of talk about God judging us. There was a lot of talk about on Yom Kippur, God deciding if we were going to live or die. And, you know, and it all scared me. And I, I remember thinking, you know, yeah. And some people got so much comfort out of a religious Orthodox upbringing. And that's another thing, right. like, like addiction, everything affects people differently. Like my brother had such warm feelings that he ended up being the president of the synagogue. And I, it all gives me so much anxiety that like, you know, I have, you know, I have 14 year old twin boys who know nothing. And right. every time I go, oh, I'm going to put them in Hebrew school or every time I snap back to what it was like for me. And I'm like, why am I going to do this to them? Yeah. But I want you to know as a, as a younger kid hanging out with you. Yeah. I knew you, you know, weren't like your, your parents who were really dedicated to it. I, I knew you weren't feeling that, but I always kind of had this, feeling that you had your stuff together because you were always leading the service and, and you did it so well and so nonchalantly. And for me, like my dad always wanted me to be more like you and your brother yeah. leading the service. And it, to me, it just made me so nervous all the time. I could do it all. I knew it all. But you were, but it didn't seem like it scared you. It didn't seem like it affected you. You always seemed no, so. That, but that stuff was just, that's just the ritual stuff that I was good at. I was rich. I learned how to lead the prayers in the synagogue. I learned how to do all that. But as soon as I got out, which was yeah. NYU for me, um, it was a different world for me. I didn't feel like, I felt like there was such a part of, you know, I, I think going to Ramaz, which was a great education for us, I think, you know, we went off to college and it was like, wow, we've missed out on a lot because we grew up a little insulated. We grew up 
with other Orthodox Jewish kids. So, right. you know, and then you get to a place like NYU and you're like, oh, there's a lot of other things happening in the world. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I started. Well, one of the things I, I always looked, when I went off to college, your dad, who was an amazing man, yeah. uh, he pulled me aside and, and he said, now, Jason, try everything in moderation. Yeah. And, and, and I thought that, and I, I, I must confess, though, Andy, I, I didn't try everything because of fear for me. Yeah. For me, it was a bit of fear. Yeah. But that I still remember that advice, and, and I, I tried to try everything that I wasn't yeah. too scared about. But for me, I think fear drove me a little bit. Right. And you knew already once you got to college, like you were interested in medicine, right? I got to college and had no interest in anything, so I was sort of lost. Right. But I, but I still remember you as a kid. You already were kind of – you already were a writer. Like I remember there was the New York Times about men section – uh, the, the Sunday magazine, there was that about men section and you've, you had written articles in that thing. I don't even remember. Did I write something for about men? Yeah. I, I feel have, like you, you did. It, or maybe it was about women. I'm not sure, but no, no. It was a, <laughs> I have no memory. No, I always wanted to be funny. I always, right. but I never thought I was going to end up in television. It just was, I wanted to be the funniest person in school. I wanted to be, you know, it helped me feel less insecure. Um, right. you say you, you stayed away from drugs cause they scared you. And what happened with me was I was naturally scared. And so drugs actually made me feel more normal once huh. I tried them. So, so, so now that you're, you know, on the Ellen show, you're, yeah. you're often in front of the camera. I am. I'm sort of the court jester slash village idiot of the show. Right. How, how do you I'm also the executive producer, obviously. Right. Exactly. Yeah. How, is it the first few times that she had you on the show or even now, was it, was it scary for you or? It was, you know, it's, it evolved because I wasn't going on as anything but myself. I was never at, I was never being a character or I was always just, you know, and just very early on, I had this knack when we would go out and shoot things that I'd always end up in the shot or be in the place I'm not supposed to be. And see, she sort of found humor in the fact that, you know, I've been a television producer before her for, 15 years and didn't know that I shouldn't get into the camera shot when she's shooting outside. I just, you know, because I have a little bit of the ADHD, so I think we're in commercial, but, and then she just had fun and, you know, it just evolved over the years where um, our relationship became that that's our relationship. And, you know, it's, it's full of love and adoration. It's funny that people, people don't regularly watch the show. They're like, wow, she's tough on Andy, but that's our whole thing. It's, it's all fun, but, you know, people can be judgy. So, yeah. but, but she has you doing some like daredevil kind of like, like, yeah, that was one of the things was how average I am. So one of the producers or one of the writers actually came up with the idea of what if we put Andy, an average guy, uh, alongside people who are the best at what they do. And, uh, and it started with, you know, gold medalist, uh, gymnasts and then yeah. with gold medalist diver. Do you get nervous for that? Like, are you scared yeah, to I, like, I, go up on the diving board? Like, I would be like, I, I, was you know, I love you, but I don't I know if I'm petrified. going up there. I was terrified doing the diving because, and it was, the guy was unbelievable. He was the 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 medalist from that Olympics. Um, Australian, I think. Was he Australian? Or, I don't know. Uh, and he was like insane. And 
that was scary. I mean, you know, she put me in with a sumo wrestler. She, yeah. you know, she's she's throw, throw me thrown me into the circus. You know, it's like, and you know, the, the funny thing is, my kids now call me Average Andy, which is they <laughs> sing the theme song, which you know that feels nice. Yeah, <laughs> my kids think I'm you know wholly average. So exactly. Yeah. Do you you know? It's funny speaking of the kids. I. At least I think when we were kids, I like to think that we were considered the cool guys, like your group of guys and my group of guys. If I ever tell that to my kids, they just crack up and are in total disbelief. It is unbelievable how positive. I was honestly positive that, okay, because I go to school functions, I go to things, I'm like, I'm I'm, I'm cooler than these other dads. I mean, they're all good people, but like, come on. And uh, what's fascinating is my kids are so embarrassed by me and and i'm like it's i'm andy lasner come on i'm, I'm young i'm hip I, right. I i i know things that you guys are talking about nothing like to the point now they're 14 which is the most painfully embarrassing time for them but right. like i pick them up at the mall the instructions i get a text before going you don't have to participate in the conversation when you're driving me and my friends home it's okay you don't have to jump in right right you know well, my kids will be like don't play any music if my friends are in the car, right? Do you right. get that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I used to drop them off, they would make me turn the radio off. Right, exactly. And, and what, what's, what's unbelievable about it is, um, forget me, you know, producing a daytime talk show. We've had every celebrity in the world on, and every celebrity has had the same experience. Because Ellen always go, like, you know, your kids, you know, to, to a giant movie star. Um, to Nicole Kidman, like your kids know you're cool, right? And that their dad is Keith Urban, like that, that must feel cool. And she's like, they are horrified. They are fully embarrassed of me. And it's across, it doesn't matter who you are, they're embarrassed. I'm like, Tom Hanks's kids? Yep, them too, all of them. (laughs) Well, that's good to know, I think. That's good to know. But did you, yeah, I guess I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed by my dad. I don't know if I was embarrassed by my I was mom. embarrassed. I was embarrassed by my parents. I was just, you know, I was also always feeling like I was doing something wrong, you right. know. So, and so then I was more nervous. I, I was frightened of my dad until uh, his old age. And then he softened up. But remember, he was a Marine. He right. was tough. He was a disciplinarian. And so he was very scary to me as growing up. What I loved about you is your parents knew you went through all the crap you went through. Yeah. But you were afraid to tell them that you weren't religious. Yeah. And I don't know. And that's, you know, that's not an unusual um, thing for an addict. We, we want to people please, and we want to not disappoint people. And I think that um, with my, uh, with my parents, I still wanted them to have a great thought of me. They wanted, you know, and so I was, I was producing at the time in the nineties, the Rosie O'Donnell show. And, you know, I told them, well, it's the Emmys are on a Friday night. So I'm going to walk down. Of course I take a taxi, but because the Orthodox don't get into cars on the Sabbath, I told them I was, I didn't have the heart to tell them. I just thought that would crush them. And it was like, and I wasn't totally wrong because the first time I ended I wasn't totally wrong because the first time I ended up in rehab was here in California and my parents flew out and I was literally detoxing from heroin. And the first question my mother asked me, God bless her. And I love her so much. You know, that was what's the situation with getting kosher food <laughs> and are you able to get kosher meals? And I'm thinking your son is a junkie yeah. detoxing from some crazy narcotics 
And really the first question for you is, are you able to get the kosher meals? Right. Well, I guess there was- But it's not, I don't say that to make fun of her. I just say it to say it was just a different world and I have full respect for how she lives her life. I don't want her to think in any way, shape or form that I'm disrespecting that. It's just, it's a different perspective on the world. And, and, you know, maybe if I did stay on the straighter, narrower path, maybe things would have been different. I don't know. Yeah. And the, it's funny, the last time I saw you was in synagogue. Where was that? Oh, yeah, we ran into someone's bar mitzvah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. That was the last. Yeah. That was the I didn't last see you during COVID. I feel like you, well, you just recommended a doctor. We, we've talked about it. Honestly, Jason is the guy I call anytime I'm not feeling well. It's so good to have a friend who's a doctor. Uh, it doesn't hurt that it's at Cedar sinai Hospital. And I literally call him not only for me, but anything in the family. And, you know, I'm going to urgent care. And he's like, let me see the x-rays. And then, you know, and, and the amount of doctors that you have said to me, okay, they're not taking new patients, but I got you in for eight o'clock tomorrow morning. And like, you know, it just has always, you've always taken care of me. And, you know, when my wife had the tough pregnancy, you were always there and you're, you're a good guy that way. My wife is like, why are you, uh, you know, Andy, Andy's calling what I'm like, you don't understand Andy and his brother, Jamie, yeah. basically my two big brothers. I wanted to be them. I wanted to be Jules and Danielle's third son. But your parents were great too. Your mom was one of the greatest, kindest people ever yeah. and smart. Man, she was smart. Yeah, she was great. Your dad was a great guy too, but your dad your dad always reminded me of like a mafia guy. Like he I never- was a mafia guy. What? He was a mafia guy. There was something about your dad. I was like, I'm not crossing this guy. This guy knows people and I'm just not, not going to cross Jason's father. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was a mafia guy. You know, it's funny. It's I, I'm embarrassed. I don't know how many years it's been since my dad was gone. But uh, a story I tell is my dad dies. My right. sister's the one who calls me. I'm here at the hospital. I get into my car and head home. The second I get into my car, my phone rings. I haven't talked to anybody. Who is the first person to call me? Jamie. You. Me? You. Yeah. Wow. Because because your brother, I oh, guess, yeah. is the Hatzalah, the Jewish ambulance guy who showed up. I guess he called you. Yeah. And you were the first person I talked to. And, and it was... My, whenever in the community, when anybody dies, my brother is, you know, he's right, right there. You were the first person I talked to. Yeah. Which is nuts. So, and I know you do, you do this, uh, the slow walking thing, which I'm, which I'm a major fan. And, and why, are you, why are you putting your hand out? No, I know. I was, uh, I don't know. Oh, I know. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I, I, I don't know why I was putting my hands out. Oh, okay. Of course it's the biggest thing in the no, world. No, it's not a big thing. What I was going to say is, I wasn't saying, of course. I was saying, it's so ridiculous to me. But I, what I tapped into was, speaking for me, I have joined more gyms and not gone. Right. More situations of gyms where you have to pay six months up front. And I think, well, I'm paying the six months. That's a lot of money. That'll be a, that's a commitment. I'm going to go to the gym. Never ended up going. Right. Um, you know, diets. I'm going to eat this way. I'm going to, and always failing. And that right. after a while, isn't great for your self-esteem, you know, right. on a level of like, I want to be healthy. I want to take care of myself. And then, so you start getting into this place where, and I was in all or nothing. If I wasn't going to go to the gym and lift weights and get a personal trainer, then I'm going to do nothing. Right. Because a little of something, that's not, you have to, you have to go all the way. 
because that's how I live my life with everything else is to the extreme, because God forbid, I know moderation. And then I just got into this mindset where I just happened to be walking and I took a video of it and said, I'm just going to slow walk. That's all. I, I can't do anything else. And I realized that doing a little something was still better than doing nothing. And that's what it is, because I don't really love to, you know, get out of breath. Uh, I find weights to be heavy. And, <laughs> uh, and so I try and, and and then that tapped into a lot of people who were feeling bad about themselves. And, you know, self-esteem is so attached to appearance. And 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 I, I, I used to say it's just an L.A. thing. I think it's just a everywhere thing. And somewhere yeah. somewhere we get the message. And some people don't. Like, I know some people who are so healthy when it comes to their self-esteem, their self-worth, their appearance. It's just not their thing to worry about. And, you know, but it's it's one of the aspects of life that everyone seems to set themselves up for and often fail. Right. And even the people who are totally in shape are always talking about goals and meeting their goals. And my goal is just to move a little. It's just to do something because, yeah. you know, I can't. I think, I, I think you really tap tap, you know, Lauren knows we're both really big fans of it, not just for the entertainment value, but I think you really, you know, as a doctor, um, you really tapped into something as, as you're realizing the just move, just get out and move and that it's okay not to. And, and, you know, even though I'm a surgeon, a cancer surgeon, I wind up often talking to my patients about making sure they try to do something. I like to say strive, you know, that's how do, one you, of the how do you do exercise or do you not? So it's funny, you know, for years, I kind of stopped doing anything. And, and right when you started your slow walking, uh, maybe a year or so before I started waking up extra early in the morning and started walking. That That's why it really is something. It's something. Yeah. And, yeah. and what I noticed what, when I walk, you know, pre-COVID, even though I still do it outside a lot, but I do treadmill a lot now, but I go out and walk in my neighborhood and you see these like 70, 80 year old couples out there and they're walking. And sometimes I talk to them and I go, when did you go from running to walking? And they go, I never ran. We've yeah. just always, you know, we've been married 45 years and we've always enjoyed a walk after dinner. And these people look happy and they look like they're in shape and they don't look, you know, so I was like, there is something to doing something you know, to just moving because I can very much get myself into the point of doing nothing. Yeah. You know, meaning, and also when you have like anxiety, like I do, you get at the end of a day of being anxious because that's my normal state. My resting state is anxious. You're physically and mentally tired. You're tired. So it's very easy, easy to go. I I can't. And you know, my wife will go, what did you do today? I mean, you produced a TV show, but you sat, most of the day. And I said, I know, but I'm just tired. And then I realized that mental is exhaustion. Anxiety does tire you out because when you're constantly in that energy of being anxious, you're tired at the end of the day. And then, and then once again, you don't do anything. And once again, you've let yourself down. And once again, there's that self-loathing of I'm doing nothing. I'm going to get, you know, I'm out of shape. I'm going to have a heart attack at a young age, which I probably still will. But, um, <laughs> but you know, that, that doing something, I feel like I've done something. Yeah. But I, but I think, so do you work out every day? I, I, not uh, work out. Do you walk I every try, day? I try my, if you knew anything about my program, it's slow walking called 2021 based on the year. And you do 20 minutes, uh, 21 days out of the month. And so 
I don't every day. I try and get in 21 days. And you can do it any way you want. And also, if you walk 30 minutes, you don't roll it over to the next day. You still have to do your 20 minutes. You can That's walk as low as you can. And if you can't walk, you know, do some sit-ups. And if you're in a very cold climate, walk around your house. Just do some sort of movement that you wouldn't have done the day before. Yeah. Do you try to do it the same time every day, ideally? For no, you? no, it depends. Sometimes, because I'm at work, I'll walk around the lot. You know, I'll, I walk from my office to the studio, and then I walk back to the office in the studio again, because we're not, it's not at the same building. It's a little bit of ways. And so I try and get it in that way or, you know, but I try and do it, you know, and that's the other thing. It doesn't have to be consecutive. Walk 10 minutes in the morning, walk 10 minutes, but do it with purpose and do it because you want to feel better. And that's the other thing is diets. I can't do, I can't, I, because that's another setup for failure with me is like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to just do 1500 calories. I'm going to, and then I'm constantly feeling like I'm depriving myself. And I, I don't like that feeling. So right. I remember for a while you were vegan. Are you still? Oh, no. no, I'm not very vegan anymore. Right. But I liked it. But my friends always called me the fat vegan. My, you know, Reich, you know Adam Reich? He's yeah. the fat vegan. He's like, how are you vegan and overweight? How does that even happen? Because when you're vegan and you eat chips, you eat, you eat garbage. If oh. you're not being healthy. It, I don't mean that that's what all vegans do. But what right. I'm saying is it's very, I am proof that it's possible to be vegan and eat very unhealthy. Yeah, and so that's for sure. And a lot of people do that if they don't realize. Andy, what? Um, you don't let Lauren talk? So it's hard to um, zoom zoom recordings. Like if three people are talking at once, it's hard to pick up stuff. So I'm careful to interject, but I do have questions. Like I am very curious how you became a producer. We only got you going to NYU and then I kind of don't know the rest of the story. Um, I was in NYU and I started as an accounting major because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I knew I didn't want to be a doctor and a lawyer. And when you grow up like Jason and I, there's three options. You're either a doctor, a lawyer, or you're in business. Right. whatever that means, but you're in business. And so I figured I'll do accounting. I mean, well, that's business. And I hated it. And then I switched to journalism because it was an easy thing to switch to at NYU. Uh, and this, by the way, let's just talk for uh, anyone younger than me. This was at a time where NYU was a safety school to get into. It's right. not the NYU of today. Right. Like it was, it was, you know, I was not a, a stellar student. I did not have stellar SATs and I got into NYU, no problem. But anyway, um, they told me as a journalism major, you had to do an internship. And within a couple days, I saw this guy on TV who most people won't remember, Morton Downey Jr., who was this crazy, loud conservative. And he would smoke cigarettes. Yeah. Um, and it was shot in New Jersey. And I said, that's what I want to do. And I waited till the end where it said Secaucus, New Jersey. And I called and said, I need an internship. And they said, we don't normally do interns, but we're thinking about it. Do you want to come at least and talk to us? And they hired me that day. And I've never done anything but talk shows since. And that was 1987, 88. And, and wait, so from an intern. I had never planned. I had never planned in being in TV. I thought I was going to be a writer. I didn't know what I was going to do. Remember, this was also a time where I was now addicted. I was drinking around the clock. I was doing it. And it was just an easy thing. And so it went from an internship to a job, a production assistant job, where I think they paid me like 125 a week. And I told my parents, I'm going to take off from NYU for a semester and see how this goes. And I never went back. So I'm a college dropout. Oh, you never went back? I never went back. And then finally, like, you know, because I would drop classes or I was doing terrible anyway, because, you know, that was the time when I, I, like I said, I was very out of control with drinking and 
narcotics. And like four years ago, I think around my 50th birthday, I said to my wife, I'm going to, I'm going to get in touch with NYU and see if they even have my transcripts. But I'm telling you, I think I have like a year and a half. So I have 22 credits. I got it. I have 22 credits to go in order to graduate. And then, and then I never did anything about it, but I did get my transcripts. Did he give you like an honorary degree? I can't believe I only had 22 credits. I was positive I had like nothing because my memory is dropping every class. And, and yeah, I, I, I was shocked. I feel like I may have visited you and gone to a party once when you were at NYU. Yeah, I lived in a fraternity because at the time you couldn't get housing if your parents lived in New York City. So I didn't want to live at home. So I pledged a fraternity. And then from the Morton Downey Jr. show, to answer your question, um, I rolled over into a morning show that was being done at Channel 9, the Richard Bay show. And I suddenly, it was just when Donahue and Oprah had gotten popular and people started doing talk shows. Those were the only two on the air, Phil Donahue and Oprah Winfrey. And then there was a boom of talk shows, and that was just the timing I had been on. And I had done originally all the one-hour, one-topic, you know, like Jerry Springer-type shows. And what I really wanted to do was something with comedy. And Rosie O'Donnell came along in 96, and it was the company I was working for at the time producing one of these one-hour, one-topic, you know, uh, my wife is cheating on me and I'm going to confront, you know, the, her lover today on TV. That's what I was producing. And mm-hmm. then the company signed Rosie O'Donnell to do a variety show. And I begged them to put me on it. And then I did that. And then, you know, eventually I landed it at uh, the Ellen DeGeneres show in 2002. As what? what? What was your role when you landed it out? A supervising producer. I was fresh like a year or two out of rehab again. Um, I'd been sober for nine years and then relapse. But, um, but I started, I think, as a supervising producer. And then by the end of the first season, I was promoted to co-executive producer. And then before we finished two years, I was one of the executive producers. And that's what I've been. And I've been there. I don't know. We're going into season 19 next year, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Season 19? Yeah. We're in season 18 right now. So you're a super successful producer. Would you yourself hire someone who didn't finish college? Do you have to have like... Absolutely. I don't pay attention to, I don't really, like it's just something that's on a resume. And if I'm really, you know, I'll just say, oh, you went to this. If it's, it was in a city I cared about or, or uh, my friend Jason Cohn went there. If there's something, but to me, it's no more interesting where they went to school than it is some job they had. And I know something from there or where they grew up, I'm interested in. But uh, and I, I know it's different. Like when, when you're, when you do what Jason does, people care that you actually have graduated <laughs> a, a medical school, but for what I do, I always hire the most interesting person in the room. I don't hire them based on where they went to school. I don't hire, I hire them on, on the fact that they're, they're an interesting person and that I get the sense that they have a real work ethic and they want to but could could someone today who's a college dropout even you know with with rules and laws and and all this stuff these days it seems like it's so well, much internships have to pay, you pay internships which i think is great that that right. you now get paid because you know when i was growing up in order to do an internship you had to either have parents who you could live with or have the money that you could afford to work for free right that to me is a privilege. That's privilege. And yeah. there's a lot of people who can't afford to 
work for free. So they can't have an internship and they would take, you know, other jobs and never get into something that they really wanted to. So I'm glad that now it's the law to pay people, but there's no, there's no law that says you can't hire. You don't need to be a college graduate to do what I, I mean, look at me. You don't need to be a college graduate to do what I do. Um, no, that's but, yeah. refreshing to hear as someone who just went to a small school in Oklahoma. It seems like a lot of companies only look for like bigger schools or like UCLA or that. I, mean, type I, of think, thing. I think executives, but like my job is all about, you know, and I'm in a specific niche sort of these, this talk show world. I also have a couple of primetime game shows that we do. But for me, it's all about experience. It, for starting out, it's just having a good attitude. And then after that, for any job on top of that, it's all about the experience you have. And if you have great experience, that's that sort of becomes your resume and that becomes your credit. And um, yeah, that's what I would say. But I don't, you know, but if you want to be an executive at the company, like right. if you want to work for Warner Brothers, they're looking, I think, more at colleges and diplomas. And, and that's why, and it, it's a weird experience because, you know, my boys are going into ninth grade next year. And so, of course, my wife's already talking about college and stuff. And I, you know, I have one son who says, I don't want to go to college. I want to go straight to Wall Street. I want to go trade. And <laughs> like, I'm like, that's fantastic. And my wife, right. my wife gets so mad because she's like, he is going to college because I believe you don't need necessarily to go to college. I get it. If they want to be lawyers, if they know they want to be doctors, if, but otherwise, if he has that, do that. And then you could go, if I could do it again, and I've said this before, if I could do it again, I am not mature enough. I was not mature enough when I graduated high school to roll right into college and pay all that money and have my parents pay all that money and start really being serious. So I think every kid, again, my wife will not entertain this idea, should take off three years after high school. Yeah. See what they want to do. See what it's like to be broke. See what it's like to live with seven people. And, and hopefully that gets you excited and lands you into some jobs that go, oh, I want to do this. And then so what? So you're starting at 20 instead of 18 or 17 to go yeah. to college. And, you have, and, you're, and you're much more serious. Like there were kids who, you know, when I went to NYU, there was like 25 and 26 year olds who decided that not going to college was not an option. They wanted to go. And those kids were serious and they did not want you to joke around in class. They had purpose. And what I didn't have and what a lot of kids don't have at 17 is purpose. They just want to go to college to get away from their home yeah. and, and party. And I think that's even true with medicine and med school because I look back at, because I went right to college, right to med school and, and the kids who were, or the adults who were in medical school with me who had had other careers first or taken a year or two to get, they were so much more dedicated because I was still kind of like a college kid and they really yeah. loved, they had this real passion that I didn't necessarily have compared to them. And I agree. I, I think that's I did not have that. I didn't, you know, I also think, I keep saying, I keep hoping that the college model changes by the time I have to pay for my boys because um, I don't know that you need four years. Yeah. I know people who've done the community college thing and gotten a job and never went back and they had the two years of college. And I think like, if you know, you know, I, I think pretty much everyone, tell me if I'm wrong, but by the end of a freshman year, you know, if you're, you're on the track to want to go to medical school, you have to No. Yes and no. Yes and no. And and these days there are post back programs. I, I'm kind of mixed on the I whole. Think I get combining it. So so by by your sophomore year of college, you're already doing medical school stuff. So you don't have to go for eight years. Like you can. Right. Like what is the purpose of like you know? And God bless my daughter. She ended up 
in uh, doing something she wants, she loves, she works with fashion influencer on the internet, she loves her job. But she went four years to Oberlin, which is a, a liberal arts school in Ohio. And she had a great time. She wasn't a partier, she studied, but she was like a sociology and religious studies major and had no idea what she wanted to do. And yeah. going to Oberlin didn't open her eyes up to going, now I know what I, so I think the college experience has to point you towards something. Right, I agree, or it should just be shorter. It should just be a year or two yeah. of, I go study for a year or two and, and then you're, uh, yeah, four unless years. you know what it is. Four I agree, four years is. Unless you're silly. doing some sort of very, you know, specific professional. Again, I want to stress doctors, I want them to have the full education. No, but even still, like for college and med school, I don't need, we didn't necessarily need four years of college and four years of med school. Theoretically, you could do that in six years. But, but the opposite- By the way, once again, once again, we've cut, Lauren was talking, she had questions for us. And once again, oh, yeah. We, no. yeah, yeah. Lauren, no, go ahead. No, you're answering them. No, you guys are good. I promise. I'm like a flow. I read something recently. Someone did a thing about being Jewish, Jewish guys, that people think we're rude because- we don't let people finish a story. We jump in. And what they said was, we're not rude. We're cult it's a culture thing with us because we want to- Wait a minute, I'm cutting you off. I need to take you home to talk to my wife because my wife always complains that I do that to her. I'm taking you home. I'm, I'm gonna find you. out what it was that I read, but basically it was explaining that it was does like- Lori, Does Lori have the same problem? It makes her crazy. It makes yeah. her crazy. She's makes like, Bernie crazy. She's not, she goes, why am I telling a story if you're going to keep guessing? Exactly. Yeah. Why are you rushing me? And right. said, I'm not rushing you. It's just how. I'm Jewish. Information. I, it means I really care about what you're saying, but they look at it as rude. Right. And, I actually, and I, and I think it might actually be a New Yorker thing because my parents are both from New York and we had Dr. Robert Clapper on and he was from New York. I think it's a, a New York thing. I could be wrong. Could be New York. Well, Clapper, he's a Jew. So he's a New York Jew. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, there is something to it. And there is, because I never feel like I want to be rude. I like, and, and a little of it with me is a little bit of the ADHD, but a lot of it is just like, you know, to be heard at the din dinner table when you're in a Jewish family, you got to speak up. And, and also, I don't know, it's just like, it's not, I never want to be rude. And people, my wife says, it, it seems rude. Right. Same. I get the same exact thing. Maybe we should do a study about it. Speaking <laughs> of dinner tables, your Friday night dinner table also amazed me. Um, I had never experienced anything like that. We sat down at the Lassner dinner table on Friday nights. Right. They, they did the, the first prayers. Yeah, the kiddish over the wine. And then you got up and actually went to the living room to have drinks and appetizers. That is correct. And that's obviously not how most Jews do it. They sit at the table and they have dinner. Um, it was something from France because my grandmother was from Alsace. So it's not really France, I guess it's Alsatian, but you always got up from the table, you had appetizers and you returned to the table. Not a Jewish thing, but just an Alsatian thing. And they loved that custom. So they would say the prayer of the wine and then go and have actual cocktails and whiskey sours and uh, tequila sunrises. I remember all the drinks they would have. And then we'd have like the hot dogs and blankets and little right. chicken dishes and little crackers with chopped liver, which by the way, I like chopped liver. People, <laughs> another thing about being Jewish, people think it's the, my, my life is so disgusted that I've eaten liver, uh, not to mention gefilte fish. I find delicious. 
What else, Lauren? But I remember coming back. To ah, Lauren's me. talking. For me, <laughs> it was hard to come back to the table because you you would get me so drunk. Getting back to alcohol again, yes. you would get me so drunk. Yes. Um, yeah. And our friend Alan Brown is also someone who, he's the one who got me the, into, into pills. I just wanted to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave this I, on. I, I got to blame. I got to blame Alan. I'm not taking responsibility. Okay. Yes, okay. Lauren. I'm sorry. I blame Alan for me eating non-kosher pizza. Can you mute him? Mute him. <laughs> You're in control here. Um, Alan Brown is your friend that we've talked about, right? The yeah. the disability yeah. advocate that we've talked about yeah. on the show a few times. Yeah. yeah. That was, was the first time I ever did anything other than. Uh, Alcohol was with Alan Brown. He told we used to go to his house for Thanksgiving. The mm-hmm. last we used to go to the Browns for Thanksgiving, and he uh, he it was like who knows what year I was a freshman, so I was like eight, whatever. And he said, "Take this. It's called ecstasy." And but it won't. And I goes out. What's that like? He said, "It's like drinking." But what it is is a hallucinogenic. It was a, a, like really strong back then, different, I think, than what they have now, which is also really strong. And the next thing I know, and it was new, it was, yeah, it was Thanksgiving. Next thing I know, I'm like freaking out. Like I, I, my hand is going through my other hand. I'm seeing horses. I'm seeing, so it's not like being drunk. And I freaked out. I, it was, and he had to take me back to NYU, to my dorm, to my, um, it was just one of the craziest experiences I ever had. In my life. Al Brown, a lot of firsts yeah, with Al Brown. Brown. A lot of firsts with Al Brown, yes, for all of us. Because he yeah. left Ramaz and he didn't go to a religious school and he, he was living the life we all wanted to do. Exactly. He took, us, he took us to the dark side. Such a good kid, though. Yeah. Boy, great guy. I want to ask one question, Andy. No, be, having gone what you've gone through and having yeah. kids, how scared are you? Um, I'm scared, but I've also made them very aware. I think a lot of people don't talk about it. And I didn't talk about it when they were seven, but I told, you know, I know people now whose kids are 13, 14 and their parents haven't really quite told them that they had a problem. I, they knew from day one that daddy was allergic to alcohol and that I can't, you know, when mommy drinks it, she can have a little, but when daddy drinks it, he has a lot and his body doesn't react well to it. Now they're 14, you know, they know what can happen. I've been very honest with them, but I've also said, I know you're going to try it, but just be aware. And I've said it to my daughter, obviously, you know, it's in our, it's in, it's in your father's DNA. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be an alcoholic and that doesn't, but just be aware that, you know, and I've been very brutally honest with them about all of it. Which is good. Are you a little scared of them going off to college or? Yeah, but I was nervous for my daughter, and she did okay. And right. you know, I'm nervous, but not anymore. I think every parent is. I think every you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, and obviously, as a parent, you you pray they don't go through the bad stuff that you went through. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's all. And you how's COVID do. been for? I think it's, it's tough. Yeah. I think I I they 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 COVID started while they were in the middle of seventh grade. And now they're almost done with eighth grade. They missed basically a half of middle school. And yeah. um, my heart is way more broken for them than they are for themselves. They're much more resilient. Like mm-hmm. one of my kids is like, I kind of like doing school on Zoom. And I'm like, oh, God. Um, but I just my heart hurts for them because I think like socially they have they have to have regressed. Right. You know, they were just at the point where they were talking to girls and they were and now, you know, they're 
doing video games all day, which I think they would have done anyway, but there's not that much balance. So I, I worry for them, but I, you know, and then I read something that they're going to, they're calling, we don't know the effect it's going to have. So it's, they're the lost generation. I go, that's a little carried away. They're not the, there's a lot of things that they're going to get out of this that we don't know that are actually good things. But, and, but I'm sure there are some things that, but it, it breaks my heart and I just want them to go back to school. So hopefully for the beginning of ninth grade, when they're both in high school, they will, um, they will have the experience. But COVID's been tough, you know. Yeah. It's, it well, all the more mind. reason back to your slow walking. I think, I think it's been a, a blessing for the, during COVID, the, your slow walking movement. Yeah. And I think they play golf and the golf courses got open um, quickly more so than other sports. So they've been able to do that. But like, you know, our whole social life, as you know, was for us was going to the Kings games and activities and they haven't had activities. And yeah. they too are getting like lazy and they don't want, you know, they were playing roller hockey and golf, like on a regular schedule and playing basketball at school. Not, you know, not on the team, but like <laughs> intramural basketball and stuff like that. And now it's barely like, we, I just bought them a, a, a new fancy basket for the driveway to hope that they go out there and shoot some baskets. Cause right. it's, mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been you're a, a good basketball player. You, you didn't get it. Did you have it? Are you vaccinated? You're vaccinated. vaccinated. Yeah. Right. Oh, great. Yeah. Are you vaccinated? No, I haven't. You know, I, uh, no, I'm waiting. I'm waiting my turn. You know, I've heard like people say, you know, Hey, if you go to this place and someone doesn't show up and I I just want to wait my turn. The last thing we know we need is the headline Ellen's producer (laughs) in front of elderly couple to get vaccinated. That's not the kind of press we need right now. So, but it just, I also, for someone who has kind of the fears and phobias that I have, COVID for some reason has not freaked me. I've never thought I was going to get it. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm absolutely getting the vaccine, but yeah. I'm not like, oh my God, when, 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 when? And I work with people who well, are you like- you guys are super cautious. Yeah, we are super cautious, but even, even if we weren't like, you know, I don't know. I'm just not- it's just not on my mind that I need to, I will get it when I get it. And I work with people who are like, I, I can't wait till we, I, I can't, you know, who are like, you know, and a lot of our people have worked from home. We don't require anyone to come in until this thing is under control. So we have people who for over a year have worked it from home doing their jobs. But like, I've, as soon as I could go back into an office, I did, I was one of the first ones I wanted to. Um, and I'm just not, you know, and, 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 and I take it seriously. I know I don't want to get it. But it's right. just not, I haven't been sort of, I, I, I got to get the vaccine immediately. But that's great that you got, what did you get, Moderna? No. The Pfizer? Secret one. <laughs> did, you get the, did you get sick on the second shot? After the first shot, I didn't get anything, almost so much that I was like, did I even get a shot? Right. And then after the second shot, that evening I had chills. Yeah. And kind of felt, the same you know, thing it seems to be with the Moderna. That's why I want the Johnson & Johnson. I'll just get the one-shot system. Right, that's that's what I I'll get whatever, like, I'll get whatever becomes available first to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And soon. It's going to be sooner than you think, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been at Allen how many years? Do you sell the vaccine out of the back of your car yet, or you're not doing that? It, some fell off a truck. You know, it's from my dad's <laughs> legacy. Yeah. That's exactly. how we, I thought you and I used to get clothing when we were kids. came off a truck what else are you going to do Ann? Um, I'm going to finish the run of Ellen whenever that ends and then 
and then I don't know. I, you know, I guess I'll, you know, my kids have four more years of high school. I don't want to be working till I'm 70. So I'm hoping to, you know, I don't know. Everyone goes, well, what's next for you? I go, I, I don't know what tomorrow is. How come you haven't started your own thing? How come you haven't done your own ah, Because that, dude, the shtick isn't something I really love doing. The only reason I keep doing this slow walking stuff is because I, I get these messages of people going, you saved my life. And suddenly yeah. I feel this responsibility. And the stuff for work is more just because it's fun for Ellen. But it's it's never something I've aspired to. I've never aspired to being on camera. And I, you know, if, 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 if tomorrow Ellen said, I never want to show your face again, I would be more than happy. Like, it's not something I aspire to. I do it because it makes her happy. I do it because it seems to make a lot of people happy. But right. it's not its not my calling, like, oh, my God, I have to be on camera at all. Yeah. Especially, look at this moneymaker. Well, I, I have to say something really quick. It makes my mom very happy, and she specifically wanted me to tell you that she's a huge fan. So I had oh to get God. that in. Yes. What's your mom's name? Debbie. Hi, Debbie. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Andy. The idiot from Ellen. Hi. <laughs> Has anyone ever come to you and said, Andy, we'd love to do X, Y, Z with you? I've had a couple of people approach uh, to sponsor the slow walking thing. A couple people, you know, like a clothing line and whatever. And I just, you know, I just haven't had the time. I've right. had one, there, there's some gym that is going to, it's a well-known gym and they want to start a smaller program for people. They like the idea that I, I tell people just do something. So yeah. they might start a program. I don't know. Who knows? But has anyone ever come to you in terms of your own type of? No, no, no. I think, I think my strength has always been my producing. I think, you know, whenever Ellen ends, there will be a number of, I hope, uh, situations that people will be like, okay, he's a good producer. We're, I'm not worried about what I'll do next, but I think my, uh, my skill set is in producing and it's not going to be, no one's going to come to me and go, we need you on camera. You write still? <laughs> Did you ever write? Did you ever like write? I wrote. I, I don't, you know, in, in my, in what I do, we have actual comedy writers. I, 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 I pitch jokes. And when people write something, I can sometimes punch it up with jokes, but I've never been someone who sat down and wrote. You never tried to write a book or a no. screenplay or. No. And I've thought about a book and I've thought about all of it. And I just haven't again, just done it because, you know, for, 18 years, I've done 180 episodes of a talk show. And you get like a few weeks off in the summer, like a teacher. Yeah. You don't want to sit down and write a book. So I haven't, everyone's like, well, what else do you want to do? And I go, I don't know. It's been 18 years of the same thing. And thank God. I mean, I've had a good job, a steady job. Through COVID, I've been able to continue to employ 200 people like, and keep them working. And, you know, that's been a, a great accomplishment. But eventually like you know i don't i don't know what i want to do next i really don't i'm also you know 54 so i mean that's still young but but like a doctor you want you love what you do so for you it's not about retiring it would be about maybe reducing your hours but like you're not i can't wait to not do anything that's not what a doctor you long to help people i i really love doing what i do but it, it's taxing also, you know, it's a little taxing. So, uh, yeah, I, I like the teaching part of what I do. So I'd love to have more people kind of under me that I could be more of a mentor and less, right. less the, you know, the main guy. Got it. Which I'm doing, which I already do. So, which is nice. Lauren, you were going to ask a question. 
Yes, she was. Um, well, we always end with um, what you're watching. So we kind of want to know, like, what movies, TV you're into right now. Okay. Debbie? Does Debbie want to know that? Debbie wants to know, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Hi, Debbie. Where should Debbie live? What state? Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is not a Jew. You're not a Jew. No, I'm Italian. Oh, oh God. Perfect. <laughs> I, I, that's perfect, because you are, I find, uh, I find Italians and Jews very similar. Mm-hmm. A lot of the angst, a lot of the, the talking quickly. Yep. Jumping in. I think, um, the family, the importance of family. Yes, I agree with all of that. Yeah. Um, what am I watching? Uh, I, we just finished Bosch, which I loved. Uh, okay. on, on Amazon Prime, um, we uh, what I'm trying to think. We 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 I can't think of the name now. But we just finished a show on Netflix that was from the Oprah Winfrey Network called Green Something. I can't think of it, but it's about a black preacher family, and we just fell into it and we loved it. It's <laughs> like you know, it's like a dynasty. It's like dynasty. It's like a soap opera of a yeah. black of a black mega church. Yeah, I've seen ads for that. I forget what it's yeah. called. Greenleaf. I think it's called Greenleaf. Greenleaf, yes, that's it. Yeah, Greenleaf. Watch that. Um, uh, Bosch, we loved. Uh, uh, we're thinking about watching The Sopranos again because we loved it and we just want to do that again. Uh, my wife. I just rewatched The Sopranos. That's funny. I rewatched it too, and I feel differently about Tony the second time. I would rewatch it if I were you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I, I will watch again. Just an interesting thing, and maybe uh, well, you're you're not a psychologist, but maybe you will understand this. And I don't think it ends up being good for me. My wife is obsessed with prison shows, especially women prison shows, to the point this is she has watched She has watched all the documentaries, like Locked Up, Locked Up Abroad, all the women prison stuff. But now she watches like serial the serial dramas in Spanish with the subtitles. Really? And every time I look, it's like women beating each other up. And I'm like, what, what, what is it that you're loving this so much? Did it start um, with oranges and new black? She can watch my wife can, if she gets into a show, she can watch till three in the morning. Yeah. I'm like, I'm good for an episode. You know, it's cause what I do also, it's like, I'm not dying to come home and watch TV, but. Um, that is know, really I, interesting I, about your wife. That's like my number one fear. I can't really watch prison shows. Like I'm not, I'm not good with it. Yeah. I don't need to do it. And, and, and let me just tell you the women in prison are rough with each other. <laughs> no joke. So you're, you're Jason, watching it with her? Jason, here's what I can tell you. Cause since you and I grew up together and we know each other very well, you and I wouldn't make it a day in a woman's prison. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm sure. We wouldn't make it a day. That I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. But yeah, it's a great documentary on Netflix about a gallery in New York that sold $40 million in counterfeit art, fake paintings, and not knowing necessarily that they were fake. And it's like this hour and a half, and it's one of the most famous galleries in New York, and it was really good. Okay. Did you watch Big Mouth? No. Have you heard of Big Mouth? No. The animated show? No. You haven't heard of Big Mouth? No, but I'm going to now. You, you have to ask your kids if they've heard of Big Bang. They've probably heard of it. They've they probably, probably watched it, right? Or are you uh, strict with what they can watch or no? My, actually, my daughter got, into, got me into a show this weekend, I think on Netflix, called Blown Away, uh, about glass-blowing competition. No. It's good. No, it's but a, Big Mouth is about, it's, uh, who, who's, uh, Nick Kroll, right? You know who Nick Kroll is? I know who Nick Kroll is. Yeah, so... It's his animated show about 
It takes place on the East Coast. It's about mostly Jewish kids going through puberty. Oh, God. And I, hilarious. it's totally inappropriate. And my kids are embarrassed that I watched it and love it. But I really feel like had a big mouth been around when you and I were kids. Oh, we would have watched. It would have, not only would we have watched it, but I think it would have been helpful for us because of all the crazy guilt and yeshiva stuff that we yeah. went through thinking we were nuts and crazy. And I think it's one of the reasons why I like it so much. Big now. Interesting. I will look into What did we learn today, Lauren? Why don't we read? Because <laughs> it feels like we've talked about a lot of things, but really gotten nowhere. No, like, I feel like people will find this interesting. You have an interesting trajectory to your life. Well, thank you. Because Jason never tells me that. Andy, <laughs> you're interesting. He's been texting me every day for a week going, try and be interesting when you do that. <laughs> um, Ellen's going to have to change your name from Average Andy to Interesting Andy. Thank you. There you go. That. Well, thank you so much for doing this and letting me do this. Thank um, you for being on Thank you for begging me for years to All, come I, wanted to <laughs> All I wanted to do was be on this thing and finally- I, I finally thing. said, okay. Yeah. Well, once you told me that, that Lauren was involved and that her mother, Debbie, was a fan, I think within 24 hours, I booked this thing. So <laughs> there Perfect. you go. Thanks, All right. Thank, thank you, guys. You. Good night. Good night. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.